1: Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound
2: On. We're going to talk all about the policy prescriptions of the Biden administration. We're not going to hear more about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
3: Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think? Biden has to watch in
4: terms of moderate defectors. The House has been voting for this stimulus package basically for months.
1: Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
2: Coming up, an exclusive conversation with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo about what she thinks President Biden's Build Back Better plan will do for the U.S. competitive edge against China. A lot to get through, jam-packed hour. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, along with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Earlier today, I spoke with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. This was her first time on the network, and I was asking about her view on how President Biden's Build Back Better plan would impact global supply chains. Take a listen to the sound on this.
5: The president proposes $50 billion investment in supply chain manufacturing of critical supplies, pharmaceuticals, uh, core minerals, technologies, uh, batteries, another $50 billion for semiconductor development, which is a critical area, as you know, and a number of other initiatives for investments in job training, apprenticeships, uh, basic research. You know, if you talk to any... Advanced manufacturer, they will tell you the fact that America has lagged in basic research and research and development has really hindered the industry. So, this, there are clear elements of the plan specifically intended to boost American competitiveness. And as you say, specifically intended to supercharge our advanced manufacturing in critical areas, areas, by the way, that are necessary for economic security, but also national security.
2: I want to go right to that point, uh, uh, Secretary Raimondo, specifically on protecting the U.S. supply chains for the microchip manufacturing. That has been something that President Biden, he has issued executive orders on, and he's drawn the the comparison to better protecting the supply chains against China, for example. What would this plan do to diversify supply chains, invest in supply chains for the microchip manufacturing particularly?
5: Yeah, great question. So, look, microchips, semiconductor chips are literally the building blocks of our future economy. Uh, As we experience this data and digital revolution, uh, semiconductors underpin so much of the new technology. We will be seeing a lot of job creation, artificial intelligence, data technologies, quantum computing, and the like. And over the past 20 years... America has, uh, we've seen a a decline in, you know, our global production of semiconductors. And that, of course, makes us vulnerable. At the same time, China has, is surging forward with major investments. So what this plan calls for is broad investments to, uh, you know, build build manufacturing operations in America, which is what we need to do. Uh, increase research and development so we can stay at the bleeding edge of this technology, uh, investments in workforce. Even if we magically waved a magic wand and had new foundries in America tomorrow, we don't necessarily have the trained workforce here in America to, to operate in those foundries. It's very technical, well, let me, as
2: you say. Let me follow up on that because in your previous post as the governor of Rhode Island, you really initiated several uh, workforce retraining programs. I mean, for folks in the post-pandemic economy who are coming back to industries that have been dramatically shaken, how important is workforce retraining, not just for young people, but for mid-career people, especially in these new and emerging industry technologies? vitally important. We
5: cannot compete without massive investments in job training, apprenticeships, community colleges, uh, and, and even, you know, especially and importantly, STEM education in our K through 12 system. Uh, you put your finger on something that I did a lot of work on as governor and that we absolutely have to work on is mid-career training. You know, COVID has accelerated some of the trends that we had already been seeing in the economy like like the decline of brick and mortar retail, which honestly is pretty scary for a lot of you know lower skill folks, maybe who've spent their whole career in in brick and mortar retail. We have to be there for them, Kevin. We have to, to help those people get retrained for jobs of today and tomorrow. So uh, the in the in the package the president proposed proposes, he calls for a doubling of apprenticeship programs. That not just you know young kids coming out of high school that's you know people like me 49 50 year old women who maybe have been doing something their whole career and they have to start over if they have the courage my view is if you have the courage mid-career to take to take the risk on getting trained in a new job then we need to be there for you with high quality affordable or free training programs that lead to a job and as Commerce so- secretary that That is going to be my component. Business has to commit to hiring folks so the training leads to a job.
2: I got two more questions for you, so I want to keep it quick. Uh, Just in particular about uh, the – The bipartisanship, there are many elements that we've just spoken about that truly, when I interview Republicans and Democrats, they do agree on it. But there are some other divisive issues like raising taxes, for example, that have been controversial Uh, for Republicans. They say that they don't want to do it and that that's a non-starter. Can you still accomplish elements of this proposal uh, even if other parts like raising taxes don't get done?
5: Uh, Yes, yes. Look, I think people, we cannot let the perfect be the enemy of the good. A disastrous outcome is that we don't get anything done. Uh, These are delayed investments that we need to get to the business of making. But the president's been clear. There's room for compromise. Um, He wants us to move quickly and get done what we can get done, um, rather than waiting to see if we can get the whole package done at once. So, yes, this is the answer to your question.
2: And then finally, just last question, on tariffs pertaining to metals uh, and aluminums, just globally, the previous administration had issued them, of course, against China and other uh, countries as well. Do they need to be removed or tweaked in the near or short term in order to maximize the potential of the Build Back Better plan? So
6: we
5: are in the administration directed by the president to do a whole of government review of, of our strategy as it relates to China. But I will simply say this, those tariffs have worked insofar as they have leveled the playing field for American producers of steel and aluminum. And that's what they were intended to do. So I'm not saying that they're perfect. They've created other challenges. But the fact of the matter is, China doesn't play fair. They'll do whatever it takes. And we need to use the tools in our toolbox to level the playing field so American workers have a shot.
2: That was my conversation with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, uh, talking about a, a host of variety of topics there on the global supply chain front. I'm um, accompanied by the Bloomberg Television and, and Radio Politics Contributors. <sighs> Bloomberg Politics Contributors, Contributors, Jeannie, Sean Zeno, and Rick Davis. I mean, Rick, I thought it was interesting to hear her kind of offer some praise for those tariffs.
4: Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, I think that uh, it shows that the uh, uh, Biden administration seems to be taking a leaf out of the Trump administration on how to handle China. I mean, you can't really tell much difference between how the Biden administration has stepped off and 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 really tried to pin in China on tariffs and on other issues, uh, human rights and others, uh, the same way that uh, the Trump administration did. So uh, at least there's continuity for the country in that in that policy, and I think portends a, a, a big uh, face-off with China, maybe even later this spring.
2: G- well, why this spring? Before I bring in, Jeannie, why this spring?
4: Because the expected uh, summit uh, that was oh, 22nd, uh, discussed yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, prior to uh, uh, the meeting uh, in Alaska last month uh, would be uh, in the middle of end of April.
2: Okay. Jeannie uh, Shanzano, I mean, you and I have talked about this with Rick as well, about not much difference between previous administration, this administration, this is the area of continuity.
3: This is the area of continuity. Not much difference on that point, but there is a boatload of difference in terms of how this administration is moving forward and trying to use the government in a way that, you know, Republicans have long shied away from. This is a, you know, this proposal yesterday, and you talked, I think, so importantly about it to the Commerce Secretary. This is about, and I think for me, this was the best part of what Biden offered yesterday, that this is about competitiveness. This is about the our national security. This is about our economic security. And you underscored that she used the term supercharge, which I really like to supercharge advantage. Um, and that's what's, needed you know just look at what she talked about the the digital and data economy is the basis of the new economy and i can tell you from my perspective in higher education not just k through 12 as she talked about we are not preparing students across the board for that economy and that's not a knock on anybody we simply haven't focused on it so this is a true difference between the trump administration unlike you know what you and rick were just talking about which is not much of a difference on tariffs
2: well i mean and and candidly i mean for those who don't know, this is someone who is a venture capitalist. She was obviously the first female governor of Rhode Island. And Rick, I mean, when just very quickly, you hear that. I mean, she is a strong communicator for this administration and talking to the business community. And, and I was very struck by her candor uh, when I asked her about taxes. I was not expecting her to be so candid and say, yeah, we think we can get other parts of this plan done even if we don't have to raise taxes.
4: Yeah, I think, look, she, uh, she set herself uh, up as uh, governor, someone who was really practical, understood the business community. I actually dealt with her quite a bit uh, when she was governor uh, of Rhode Island, looking at uh, potential investments in that state. And, and she knew how to have that conversation about what your money is going to be worth in her state. And now she's translating that to the federal government.
2: Fascinating. Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. The panel stays. The contributors stay. This is Bloomberg.
7: Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
4: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound
1: On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
4: I'm
2: Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by the contributors, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Sean Zeno and Rick Davis, you know, I, I, we just heard from Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, but let's hear from uh, President Biden today, because did you see this, Rick and Jeannie? President Biden, he had his first ever cabinet meeting in person. First ever in-person cabinet meeting in the East Room of the White House, and he said that he directed five of his cabinet members, including Secretary Buttigieg, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm to help advocate, and, and Secretary Raimondo, along with Buttigieg, to help advance his plan to spend $2.5 trillion on infrastructure. Take a listen to the sound on this from uh, that meeting today.
7: America, America with the American's jobs program. And while most of the cabinet will have a role in helping shape and press the jobs plan, today I'm announcing that I'm asking five cabinet members to take special responsibility to explain the plan to the American public. Working with my team here in the White House, these cabinet members will represent me in dealing with Congress, engage the public in selling the plan, and help work out the details as we uh, refine it and move forward. These five members will be Pete Buttigieg, Jennifer Granholm, Marsha Fudge, Marty Walsh, and Gina Romano.
2: And there you have it. Meanwhile, this is how it was received by Senator Mitch McConnell, top Republican in the Senate. Did you hear this? He was down in Kentucky, his home state of Kentucky, and was asked by reporters what he thinks of this, this plan. And, well, I'm not going to paraphrase for what McConnell had to say, but he didn't mince words. Take a listen.
1: I'm going to fight him every step of the way because oh. I think this is the wrong prescription for America. This is a bold left-wing administration i don't think they have a mandate to do what they're doing
2: judy i don't think he likes it <laughs> you think <laughs> i don't I know mean, kevin i it think he's on like, the fence. it sounds like when i asked christine Baratta if i can eat pizza during the show <laughs> <laughs> She's our executive producer, the legendary. Go ahead, Judy. No, uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> you know, I I think he's very very clear. There's also Ted Cruz out there describing this as the Green New Deal light, masquerading as an infrastructure plan. You've even got some moderate and retiring Republicans who have gone on the record against it, including Rob Portman. Um, You know, so there is enough pushback on the right, and and I don't think the only issue is going. to to be the raising of the taxes. I think this gets to a lot of other issues, including how we define infrastructure. Republicans take real exception to what they describe as a broad, you know, sort of this very broad description of infrastructure that includes everything from roads and bridges to things like child care. Um, and so, so they're going to be pushing back on a whole host of this. But let's not forget, there's also pushback on the left to this as well. So we're going to have Joe Biden sort of caught in between only can lose three democrats in the house and zero democrats in the senate to get this bill through
2: all right here's my intel folks Uh, i i think that they're going to tuck a lot of the china stuff into the new frontier act and i think schumer's been pushing for that along with some republicans in the senate and i think you've got his counterparts in the house who are doing that i'm sure rick might agree with me on that right rick
4: yeah, I think there's uh, a, another avenue to uh, try to yeah. get a lot of this done, especially as you point out the things that are specific to China, because I think they see what we were just talking about, which is there's a lot of bipartisan support where you can get 10 Republicans to vote on this in the Senate uh, if it's if it's directed toward China.
2: Well, it's a follow up on this with you. I mean, when I talk to Republicans all week, I don't know if you've ever seen those lottery ads where they have the, the big cardboard size blank check. That's how they're describing this this infrastructure package. I mean, Rick, you're in with all these Republicans. You know them. You talk to them. I mean, it, it sounds like it's just a simple non-starter.
4: Yeah, it's it's going to be more complicated than that, Kevin, because uh, on the surface, yeah, fighting a 2.2, 2.3. Seven trillion dollar bill is right up their alley, and they they feel secure in their base to be able to go after that. A lot of new spending is going to make Republicans nervous, but then when you start taking these uh, policies uh, uh, act by act, uh, you know, when you start talking about supply chain, fifty billion, like Gina Raimondo said, uh, you know, you know, you don't want to argue against that. You know, basic research is important. You don't want to you don't want to argue against roads and bridges because voters like that stuff. So. The, the advantage that Biden has is that when you start pulling these things apart and selling them as as individual activities it's very popular Jeannie
3: Again, another advantage he has, I heard Heidi Heitkamp talking the other day, and I think she's right. There's almost an Oprah-esque moment to this, right? You get a car, you get a car, you get a bridge, you get a bridge. And who wants to turn that down? You don't, you want it in your district, in your state, you don't want it in everybody else's. So I think Republicans, what, what Biden is trying to do is sort of trap them into that. Do they really want to oppose something that is very popular with the public if this turns out to be as popular as the COVID relief bill? And also creates jobs in their districts and helps build infrastructure that we all desperately need. So that's why infrastructure is so popular, usually, and bipartisan support for it. And that's, I think, something else they're going to play with and appeal particularly to mayors and, and governors.
2: All I, need is, all I need is fries from Damien's across the street at Poppy hands <laughs> or pizza Barada. I'm easy, you know. I I don't need much. I'm Kevin Cerulli. Much more coming up next with the contributors. This is Bloomberg.
1: Casting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 991, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli.
2: Coming up, we talk to Joe Biden, President Joe Biden's climate advisor. He created a new position. She wants to put windmills off the coast. My name is Kevin cerilli I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm here with the contributors, Bloomberg contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Sean Zeno. I want to keep talking about the process of this infrastructure bill because at today's White House press briefing, press secretary Jen Psaki was asked, if the administration split up infrastructure to increase the odds of getting a passed, take a listen to the sound on reconciliation.
6: There are a lot of areas where there is agreement with across. I wouldn't overread into it in that way. We don't know what the legislative uh, functioning or process will look like at this point.
2: So, I mean, Jeannie, it was a dodge
3: was a big dodge, I would describe as a big dodge. But of course, in, in Jen tucky's defense, they really don't have as much control over the process that the Senate in particular takes, but the House as well. So I do think they have a few options here. One is they try, and and, and we know Schumer is working on this now, to use reconciliation. Another is that they have to take steps with the filibuster. Another, as you talked about, is they break this thing up. I, I know there's a lot of support for breaking this up. I do think there are also dangers of breaking this up as well. So there's no clear pathway forward here that gets them everywhere they want to go. But in the president's defense, he also did say yesterday, and we know this is an opening bid, he's willing to discuss certain aspects of this. And so there should be negotiations and a give and take with Congress. And that's the way this process
2: works. Rick, I mean, it looks like the the only way they're going to get any of this through is if they break it up.
4: Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell what the uh, president's intentions are, Jeannie. I mean, like this is exactly the same thing he said before the $1.9 trillion stimulus and did not negotiate a single line in that bill with Republicans. So uh, I think uh, you're seeing a lot of smokescreen, uh, whether it gets broken up or not. Uh, I think we are uh, entering a very difficult period. Uh, you're not going to find 10 Republicans who are going to vote for a big tax increase. And so so they don't really have an option to try and do this other than through reconciliation or busting the filibuster. And that will cause a lot of other fallout with other bills that may have had bipartisan support. This isn't the only piece of legislation going through Congress, and it could really disrupt the other things that are happening.
3: And can I just say on that, because, Rick, I think it's a great point. My read on this with Biden is he doesn't expect to get bipartisan support on this, but he wants to be seen as you know oh, being open to it and and you know he wants to go on record as saying he supports it but do any of us suspect he's going to get it i'm certain he doesn't suspect that so i do think they're going to have to use reconciliation or they're going to have to move towards the filibuster i don't think breaking this thing up works very well so i think reconciliation my vote is their that's their best option here
2: well she went on to say that um I know I hear you on that point, Jeannie, and I think it's a really good point because Saki went on to say that they're open to suggestions, which I <laughs> thought was an interesting way. So here, here's the sound on the, the suggestions.
6: There are a lot of areas where there is agreement with across the political spectrum from investment in infrastructure, doing more to be competitive with China. Uh, and what we're really talking about here is how to pay for it.
2: So there you go, Jeannie. But
3: that's not all we're talking about. I'm sorry, Jensaki, that's not all they're talking about. I mean, there is widespread support on some of this, but there are ways in which infrastructure is being defined here that goes well beyond anything traditional conservatives or Republicans, even some moderate Democrats are going to support. So, I don't think there's quite as much I don't think this is only a question of paying for it, although that's a huge question. She's right about that.
2: All right. yesterday we talked about switching gears back to the pandemic. We yesterday broke the news about Johnson and Johnson and a a mix-up and a, a fumble that they had had in, in terms of 15, that impacted 15 million of their or vaccine dosages here in the United States that was reported by the United, uh, that was reported by the New York Times. Johnson & Johnson, for their part, are pushing back against the description of that New York Times report. But either way, it did uh, penetrate into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and uh, Jen was asked about it at today's briefing. The White House says that a vaccine manufacturing error at a Johnson & Johnson plant in Maryland will not impact the national supply. The company had reported that 15 million doses were ruined, forcing the FDA to delay authorization to use the plant. plant. At today's briefing, Saki said that J&J is still on pace to meet the domestic supply goals. Take a listen to the sound of the shots.
6: For the supply that we are anticipating uh, through the course of may we uh, we have been assured that we uh, that they expect to meet those deadlines.
2: Rick Davis, I mean that was a massive massive potential blunder that could have really expanded and, and gotten a hold uh, throughout the United States, but it it seems that uh, it seems that they navigated through that potential landmine, Rick.
4: Yeah, the good news is when they stub their toe at the White House, Johnson & Johnson will be there with plenty of Band-Aids to help them. (laughs) And and I think that's exactly what this was this time. I mean, like, it's actually, I mean, when you really look back on it, uh, the fact that there have not been more disruptions like this in the rollout of hundreds and hundreds of millions of doses of, uh, of this vaccine is really quite remarkable. And the fact that, that, that they have overbooked uh, what they need to be able to satisfy the adult population is exactly why you do this so that you can avoid any disruptions if something goes wrong in the supply chain. So uh, I, I think anybody who was questioning you know, the, uh, the uh, additional amounts of vaccine that the Biden administration ordered now can look back and say, well, wow, that was a really good decision when we made it. And thank goodness we did.
2: In a statement earlier yesterday, Emergent said that it has set up rigorous quality checks that caught the flawed batch. And the company called the issue disappointing, yet said it, quote, does occasionally happen during vaccine manufacturing, which is a complex and multi-step biological process. Emergent says that it remains confident in its ability to meet Food and Drug Administration requirements and receive authorization. I mean, it was a— you know, Jeannie, just quickly here, I mean, that could have been, again, a major, a major blunder, uh, but it looks like uh, Johnson & Johnson, as well as Emergent, which does work, obviously, in the manufacturing of the vaccine, navigated it.
3: They did navigate it. Something a lot of people don't seem to be talking about or concerned so much about is it looks like the White House and senior officials in the Biden administration knew about this at least a week or two ago, according to some reports. And I do remain curious as to why we, at least we first heard about it yesterday, late yesterday. Mm. But I also agree with you and Rick on this point.
2: Yeah, really good point there, Jeannie. Coming up next, we check in with the senior advisor on climate with the Biden administration. I'm Kevin Cerulli. This is Bloomberg.
4: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This
1: is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio.
2: Breaking news on the Bloomberg Terminal. The headline flashed, redhead top biden aides set april 12th summit with firms on chip shortage jenny Lettered reports president joe biden's top national security and economic advisors plan to meet april 12th with semiconductor and auto companies to discuss the global shortage of microprocessors according to people familiar with the matter national security advisor jake sullivan and national economic council director brian Deese will discuss the impacts of the shortage and a path forward with industry leaders and administration officials said the official Added that the White House is also engaged with Congress and allies abroad on the issue. Fascinating development, one that we will be keeping close, careful watch on. Earlier today, I spoke with White House National Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy for her view on how the Build Back Better plan will tackle climate change. Take a listen.
6: You know, Kevin, this plan is just. It's exciting. It's big. It's bold. It meets the moment. It recognizes that climate change is a problem, and yet it translates this into everyday work that that we can get excited about as normal human beings, like better roads and bridges and transit, building an uh, uh, electric grid that's resilient making sure we look at our ports and our reels, we get cleaner buses. It's about houses that are more efficient. It's about rebuilding our communities again. It's about taking care of our schools. It's about advancing broadband. We are talking about putting millions of people back to work and work that matters to everybody, not just manufacturing, but it's exciting to have manufacturing invested in again in this country, because it means we're going to take back the supply chain chains that we have offshore to other people and start looking at things like electric vehicles in the United States of America, building charging stations out there, getting battery manufacturing right here in the United States, looking at our opportunities we have to grow yeah. the middle class by supporting our unions. It's just a very exciting opportunity. Advisor
2: McCarthy, I'll be candid here. When I talk to Republicans, yeah. they say this is just too much money. We can't afford it. And some of them are concerned. Concerned. They're concerned that investing in these initiatives that you're talking about uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that need that you argue need to be completed, that it means that they're going to shut down refineries and that folks are going to be out of work. How important is retraining, not just for young people, Advisor McCarthy, but for mid-career level officials, for people in their 30s, their 40s, and their 50s? Because some of these, the pandemic has has sped up a restructuring of sorts uh, of industries. So how crucial is the need for retraining?
6: I think it's really important, and there's a there's a, a a very large component here that's looking at, for example, research and development opportunities with our industries where we don't have good solutions yet, and we haven't invested in research and development the way we need to, like demonstration projects for green hydrogen and our cement sector and our and our steel uh, sector, and that's important. Retraining is is gigantic here because we do have to keep people to work. And there are going to be sectors where that's very challenging. But we're raising that issue, Kevin. We're not going to sideline it or hide it. We have to start looking at this because we didn't pick electric vehicles as as the solution. The market did they're actually going to be the winners. So when the auto companies come to us, they want help to bring the manufacturing back, and the UAW wants help to keep their jobs. And we think it's our opportunity here to invest in these markets so that we can grow the jobs of the future while we retrain and put people back to work today. And there's a couple of really exciting opportunities in here. We are talking about using uh, a sector that that used to be invested in coal and coal mining and look for opportunities in their own communities to start plugging up those oil and gas wells that have been left behind that are spewing methane and let's stop putting them to work with skills they already have while we think about what comes next i know this you're is pressed all for time. about jobs
2: i know yeah. you're pressed for time i got two more questions for you the first sure. is that the biden administration is envisioning thousands of wind turbines spinning at sea this is something that you've uh, said is a unique opportunity right now and that yeah. uh, for offshore wind uh, when will when will that get started
6: well, it's actually gotten started. We, we were just out in the northeast coast because we've issued some permits for uh, vineyard wind, um, and we have announced a whole bunch more to come. So we did a big event because we think there's an opportunity for 30 gigawatts of uh, electricity generated from off- offshore wind. And we're actually excited because the companies that are developing it, many of them are coming to us with labor agreements. So we're talking about the entire supply chain we're talking about uh um, making sure that the jones act is paid attention to and the boats that service these are going to be union boats so there's all kinds of opportunities here we think not just with onshore uh, but offshore wind that's going to make it very exciting
2: and then a final question for you You're the 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 previous uh EPA Administrator in the Obama Administration. How is this role, this newly created role, just from a process standpoint, as now you are the National Climate Advisor, what does that mean, and how is it different from your previous role?
6: Yeah, well, previously it was at EPA, and we did great work there, but most of the work we did there was with the development of programs, and we did some standard setting, of course, some regulations, and EPA is still going to do that. There's still a need for all those activities to protect fundamental public health and the environment. But what I'm doing here is I'm pretty much an orchestrator, or an orchestra conductor is probably a better way to say (laughs) it, and I've got the cabinet uh, all working with us to make sure that the whole of government is not just thinking about the work they do, but they're thinking about the work through two different lenses. One is through a climate lens, to make sure that as we're looking at the programs we run, the investments we make, let's make sure it's all geared towards a sustainable future, looking at the opportunities. And secondly, you know, President Biden made a strong commitment not just to get us to net zero greenhouse gas emissions in in 2050, but he made a strong commitment that 40 percent of the investments in clean energy are going to be invested in the communities that have been left behind, the marginalized communities that have systemically been disinvested in. So we're going to push, and we're going to work together across the whole of government to make these investments that are smart, that grow jobs, good union jobs, that that bring benefits to the communities left behind, and we're going to do it in a way that hopefully, lifts all boats and brings us to a, a future that we can all be proud to hand to our children
2: nina mccarthy the white house national climate advisor uh, rick davis is with me genie shanzano bloomberg politics contributors rick i mean all right that's what they want on the green stuff but you know republicans have a much different interpretation
4: yeah. I mean, Republicans are going to want to see what's in it for them. I mean, I did see that one of the things uh, that Gina was talking about was including in the new clean energy standards, they have sort of the national standards bill that they're pushing or going to be pushing is the inclusion of nuclear power. And, you know, that's always been a touchy issue within the Democratic caucus. But Republicans have been pushing for more nuclear power for a long time. In, in both Republican and Democratic administrations and not getting a lot of action. Uh, so I think there will be some things that interest them. You know, a lot of these states, uh, Kevin, they have massive uh, clean energy uh, projects in, in, in a lot of these members' home states, and they're the largest employer of energy jobs now in the country. And so – I think there is a shift, but uh, the question is, how strident are these standards going to be, and, and, and can everybody accept that level of federal oversight?
2: The nuclear issue is a fascinating one, Jeannie.
3: It is. And I think as I listen to that interview, I, I am really struck by the fact that the Biden administration seems to be taking a little bit of a page out of the Trump administration in terms of their appeal to people who feel that they were left behind by those 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 people in Washington, by elites, by Wall Street. And we saw this with Donald Trump. That's how he won the presidency in 2016, appealing primarily to, to, to whites who felt disenfranchised rural areas. And once again, you see Joe Biden doing this with a similar sort of populist rhetoric that I note as sort of a cross through from the president down to the cabinet officials and then to this new national climate advisor, Gina McCarthy. Talking about a huge issue here is investment in marginalized communities. And I think that is something that's going to appeal to a good number of people across the board, including Republicans on the ground.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And again, if you're just joining us, a red headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Biden's top economic security aid set summit on chip shortage. Samsung GM among the firms invited to an April 12th meeting. At the White House, the White House has been reviewing supply chains for chips and other products. President Joe Biden's top national security and economic advisors plan to meet April 12th with semiconductor and auto companies to discuss the global shortage of microprocessors, according to people familiar with the matter. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and National Economic Council Director Brian Deese We'll discuss the impacts of the shortage and a path forward with industry leaders. Again, that headline just crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Jenny Leonard reports Biden's top economic security aid set summit on chip shortages. That meeting will come April 12th. We should note just 10 days before that virtual summit between President Biden and Xi Jinping of China. That does it for me. That does it for the panel. Uh, uh, Jeannie Sean Zeno, as well as Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics Contributors. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Have a great day, folks. Thanks to the team, roof on the Boards, our producer, Matthew Shirley, our executive producer, Christine Murata, the legendary. What could
0: you do if your data was working for you and not against you?